Na 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 na. Hey hey hey. hey. Bye, <laughs> I cannot. Yeah. I'm so happy. <laughs> Leave the dog alone because the dog didn't do a damn thing, and now you're trying to feed him your body. Thou fluid. shall kill all of your hands and a dog fish a tampon out of the garbage. It ain't right to bubble you, but you can pretend like you will. A dog. Wow. It's a time for a Sante. Where come from? We can have you because you just lies. Lots of crimes all the time. Lies and lies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Up Evil. My name is Jocelyn. I'm the brunette. We've got Katie. She's the redhead. Hello. And we have Carly. She's the blonde. Hi. Tonight, we are covering Sante Kimes, Quinnies. Sante Kaimas. I have no idea how, but I missed this story entirely in the late 1990s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I didn't even know about this one, Quinny's, until we you said we were doing it. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, I had never heard about Quinny's. I had never even heard about this case before. Yeah. Like, wow, it's such a crazy story. Yeah, I and know, apparently and it all was really coverage. famous too. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really famous case. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know anything about it. Me either. Absolutely not. And I totally remember Jean Benet from the 90s. Oh, yeah. I don't it's know. It's completely fascinating, though. This story is a one hell of a rabbit hole, Benny's. Mm-hmm. So if you're like me and you had no idea who Sante Kimes is, she <laughs> is a con artist, abuser of immigrant workers, and literal murderer whose crime spanned over 35 years before she was finally in prison for life. She goes by Sante, Shante with an S, Shante with a C, Santi, Sandy, and Sandra. Yes. Okay. Calm down. Good aliases. <laughs> Pretty yeah, good. She has a number yeah. of them too. She that list goes on and on too. There's a bunch of other ones too. Yep. Yeah. She is believed to have more than a hundred aliases throughout her lifetime. So crazy. <laughs> and the list of accomplices to her crimes includes literally thousands of people, many of them who never knew that they were an accomplice to the crime. For a moment in the story, you think like, wow, she must have like some cunning and some intelligence. No, she doesn't. No, false. Yeah, no. You might think that that kind of record might speak to an intelligence, but she doesn't have any intelligence. No, she's just okay, a Quinny's? stuttering dumb bitch. She- <laughs> Sorry. There is nothing wrong with a stutter, Quinny. <laughs> No, okay. I'm hey, I had a stutter too. Listen, I'm not making fun of stutters. No, no, no. no I'm course. saying stuttering. I'm referencing stuttering like she just is a liar. Like she stutters <laughs> because over she's her coming own up words. with her story. Coming and, up right. with shit on I, the spot. Yeah, right. Absolutely yeah. no hate on speech impediments, yo, oh. because dude, hey, for real. I had one oh too. My so one hundred percent way you said it. Oh, right. Perfect. It was- we're starting this off on a positive, really positive note here. So in this episode, we are going to cover life and times of Sante Kimes, the trail of bodies that seem to follow the woman and her eventual arrest, imprisonment and death. But we're going to start in 1998, right here in New York City. On Tuesday, July 7th, the NYPD notified local media outlets that 82-year-old Irene Silverman had not been seen since Sunday morning. Her housekeeper had seen her in her nightgown in her house, standing in front of her office on the Upper East Side. The building is literally steps from Central Park. It's 
Very, very nice. Irene was a widow. She married into a lot of money. She was in very good health and she lived at 20 East 65th Street. Even though she's in good health, she never left the house by herself. She had reached a certain age. When she went out, she went out with people. She usually took one of her employees. She had 10 employees in total working in her house. So they did housekeeping, cooking, clerical work, and maintenance because Irene was renting portions of the building. It was absolutely massive to tenants, mostly actors and artists, as Irene herself used to be in the chorus at Radio City Music Hall, Mm. and she was an accomplished ballerina in her youth. So she loved like artist types, artist people. That's who she normally liked to rent to. Daniel Day-Lewis was once her tenant, Quinny's. Stop. In the bid for information from the NYPD, Sergeant Corey Cuneo said he was specifically seeking someone named Manny Guerin, who's the most recent renter in Irene's Brownstone, most recently moved in. He rented an apartment approximately two weeks prior and had not been seen, just like Irene, since Sunday. Police described him as white, but possibly Hispanic, six feet tall with blue eyes. The police had also found blood outside of Irene's building on Monday night, but this was kept out of the press at the time. No one knew that. They're just looking for this guy. This woman has disappeared. There's no insinuation of foul play yet. They question all the tenants and they obviously want to talk to this one. So they also release a sketch of Manny Guerin. I love this. They release it and another detective who works in another precinct is watching the nightly news, sees the sketch and is like, oh, we arrested that guy last night. And so just calls the Manhattan precinct and says, listen, we already have this guy. He's already been arrested, but it's under a different name. He's not Manny Guerin. He's Kenneth Kimes or Kenny, as we will call him in this series. And he was arrested with his mother, 63 year old Sante Kimes on a federal warrant for writing a $14,000 bad check in Utah. So at this, it's a lot to swallow, Quinny. It's a lot. But they had already been arrested. The police are trying to question them and they've already been arrested on a completely unrelated charge and they were already in custody, which is amazing considering- That's wild, yeah. That's rare. They obviously want to talk to Kenny and then it gets kind of worse because as they start learning what was on them when they were arrested, they had Irene Silverman's IDs. Once the federal warrant was satisfied in the system, they were immediately contacted by the LAPD who want to speak to Kenny and Sante about a murder that left a man's body in a garbage dumpster at LAX. All over the country. All over. Like you can, There's no way. I I do believe that this was like of a certain era because there's so much now that you could not get away with but like and there's more victims too she has more victims definitely even know about 100 percent. definitely so who is this woman quinnies who is this 63 year old sante kime sante shante Shante, sandra Sandra. yeah exactly katie is going to get into her childhood. She was born on July 24th, 1934 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, which we're going to get a little bit into, but that is allegedly apparently where she was born. She was born Sante Singers. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. I hope I am. Some sources also cite she was 
Sante Luis singers or Sandra Luis singers. So even from the beginning, we don't even have like an official birth name. She was the third of four children. Her mother was Mary Von Horn, who was a native of Illinois, who was Irish and of partial Dutch descent, kind of unclear. And then her father, who's known as Prama Mahandra Singers, he was of East Indian descent and he came to the U.S. from Canada, through Canada, apparently. So the family moves to Southern California in the late 1930s. The dad actually leaves the family and Mary, the mother, resorts to prostitution. Her children were apparently placed in foster homes and orphanages. And Sante was apparently the last kid to leave. So like she was with her mom, actually, for a little time alone before she actually was the last one to be adopted. And she was in seventh grade when she was adopted by Edwin and Mary Chambers, which is where the name Sandra Chambers came from. And the family moves to Carson City, Nevada. And apparently in Carson City, Nevada, Kimes did fairly well in high school. She was a cheerleader. She was a member of the Glee Club, that which is kind of funny to me. The Glee curse comes in a little <laughs> bit. And also this is like when her crimes started. All I got from her young childhood was that apparently she wasn't very nice to her siblings, I guess. Apparently she would let them get in trouble for things that she did and she would like get away with a lot of things that the other kids would be blamed for. These are when some of the crimes started because she would steal her adoptive father's credit card and she would like go spend it and buy like buy things and Can you even imagine? Like can you imagine doing that? It's She's one ball- thing to ballsy. Like it is ballsy. Out of your mom's purse. Apparently her birth mother Mary comes back sometime during after she had been adopted by Edwin and Mary and she actually tries to get Sante back but apparently Sante refused to go back with her mother. 3 months after she graduates high school, she marries a high school sweetheart and his name was Lee Powers. So this was her first marriage and we don't have a lot of information information on this at all. All we know is that they divorced very shortly after. It was only a few months that this marriage lasted. Yeah. So he, Lee was friend of, I just, I just finished the book by her first son. And he says that Lee was a friend of another girl that Sante went to high school with. I guess part of it too may have been that she told him she was pregnant and he married her and then found out that she wasn't and it was over. Also doesn't surprise me. That was husband number one. Second husband is 19 56, she marries another high school boy toy, and his name is Edward Walker, and he was a contractor. Their marriage ended in 1961, but they had a son. They did have a son together. His name was Kent Walker. He later becomes estranged from his mother and writes the book, which Quenny has already referred to. Now, according to Kent, he was very close to his mother as a child. He even acted as an accomplice in some of her early shoplifting crimes. Money was like the source of all happiness in the household. Gifts will always bring you pleasure. Like she very much like showered him with gifts. If something happened, like she showered him with gifts and, you know, everything was always made better, like by presents and money. Having money would hide like the pain and like make make everything feel better is like kind of how she taught him. There was one time that he like stole some surfboards, I think from a friend or something. And she, he got in trouble, like not because he stole them, but because he didn't, he got caught. And this is when he was like 12, I think. Oh, it is Carly. What? The the Menendez Menendez brothers. Oh, yes, it is. Total Menendez Brothers vibes. Yeah, for sure. Also, according to Kent Walker, he claims that his mother's birth certificate could have possibly been forged. Mm -hmm. He also states that there was a, an actually an old acquaintance of Sante's, like a friend who 
actually claimed that Sante was from a respectable, well-to-do family that was actually unable to cope with this wild child that she was basically in her aberrant, like extreme ways. There are definitely conflicting stories as far as exactly how she was brought up, which I find very very interesting. Gone with the wind in a way. Like it's not the plot of Gone with the Wind. And I want to come back. It's like an old movie of like, and then the dad left and the mother was, it's like, I don't, it's like an old timey movie or something. It totally is. Yeah. Like slap across the face. Like, how could you, John? How could you leave with the gloves? I was trying to think of our like modern day equivalent of Elizabeth Taylor. I know. It's, but we don't really one. have one. We don't okay. really. I love how they're like, oh, she mildly resembled her. And I look at her and I'm like, I don't no. see that. Quinnies. She fucking didn't, dude. You're like, I she don't. fucking mm. didn't. She had no. hair that she like pooped out like Elizabeth Taylor did. Like, I mean, they what? do say that she had, she was attractive and that she had dark features and like olive skin and she was really pretty. But like, I don't know. I that know, still like, doesn't even, I, mean, I, I guess don't you know. could say maybe like Angelina Jolie would be like Elizabeth yeah but like not i don't know someone like very unconventional like symmetrical features but like but like very exotic i just can't oh uh what's her name uh wonder woman gal gadot yes sure close like we're getting closer like penelope we're getting more i'll give you that Like we're getting closer with them. Yeah, but I was trying to think about it. I'm like, someone as universal as Elizabeth Taylor, I don't really know. So I looked into her shoplifting charge and I couldn't actually find much about it. Exactly. There isn't, but but it's important to mention it just because- it's one of the only ones on record. You can kind of see we when you start to spend time with Sante, you start to see that she m- makes a bad mistake and then there's a recovery period and then there's another yeah. horrific mistake and then there's a recovery. You know what I mean? So I feel like this one like tips off the whole thing. Totally. But yes, also let's definitely. never spend time with her again. Like, Ever. Like, she started shoplifting like young age, stealing from her parents. Apparently her classmates like didn't really know what was going on, but they knew something was going on she was just like not she was just not doing the things that she's supposed to be doing and she's trying to get away with whatever she can get away with right and so this like we said continued on through her adult life and her son kent like we kind of touched upon also even said like he's eight years old nine years old helping her by like crawling through the windows of houses breaking into them to get whatever she wanted and he said like all the food we ate was shoplifted then she'd steal some cars like on a whim like whatever she wanted so like we said she finally got caught and was convicted of a shoplifting charge in 1961 and like this is the beginning of her like really criminal career essentially like even though she's been doing it her whole life and oh because Um, shocker if you just keep doing it like eventually you're going to get you're going to get caught but this charge also was kind of a deal breaker in her way because it led to her and her now second husband Walker's separation. And they would intermittently reconcile and separate again until they finally divorced in 1969. Shoplifting charge 1961 is really what got like the ball rolling. Yeah, because he's like, yes, wait a minute. You, apparently, according to Kent Walker, again, apparently she would always tell him she would Sante would always tell Ed, like, you'll never have enough money. We'll never Mm -hmm. be like totally secure. We'll never whatever. Right. And he's like, I'm a contractor. I have relationships with local business people. How does it look that my wife has been arrested for shoplifting? You know, like it's not normal is helping. And he wanted, I guess, Kent says he wanted to be an architect, but ended up being a contractor. So Mm -hmm. he was already more of like a quiet, like uh, artistic type, but he drank a lot. And so, and that's something that, 
we see yeah. all the men share with yes. Sante yes. is that For the sure. woman is a can hold her liquor. So 1969, they get divorced. And by the time that she divorces Ed, obviously people know about her shoplifting habits. There's also some suspicious fires happening at some of the houses that Edward had been working on. Yeah, oh, this kills me. Like, this kills me, Benny. Okay. Just like a quick jump from like some shoplifting to like car stealing to some arson. And like, no, he's not going to have enough money when you literally ruin his life and ruin his <laughs> livelihood. She's spiraling downward into her criminal career. Like it's just the ball is really rolling now. And at this point she's become a seasoned con artist. She's obviously a thief. She's scamming people. There's insurance fraud. And like we said, she goes around impersonating Elizabeth Taylor. And I just don't get it. It's but she's like, like getting free things. Like people oh yeah. are, are buying into it. So then 1971 rolls around and she meets Kenneth Kimes. Kenneth what a Mann. duo from hell. Kenneth. This story is crazy it's too. It's a roller coaster. So at the time, Sante was working as a Washington lobbyist for a Southern California healthcare firm, HMO Concepts, and Kenneth Kimes was a self-made motel tycoon who was 18 years older than her, and he had a fortune estimated between 12 million and 50 million. That is no joke. Kenneth came from an Oklahoma Dust Bowl family of what was called traveling pickers. For 20 years, he had owned a construction company that built motels in California, and he owned at least five himself, including one across the street from Disneyland and one in Palm Springs. And Kenneth was also a quiet and shy man. Like she seems to go, like we said, for the same kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Some would also say he was a little strange. He didn't socialize much. He was kind of eccentric. And yeah, she liked him weird and quiet. He's so like, you can tell yes. him and rich. With, and rich with drinking problems. Very specific. <laughs> very specific. That's like a very specific dating ad. You got to be rich. You got to have a drinking problem. But you got to be rich. And you got to be stupid. And you got to be drunk. <laughs> Apparently, Kenneth noticed Sante from the start. She was pretty. She was fun. She made his life less boring. And Sante went into it knowing she wanted to get her man. She went, she went for it. She went for it. She, he loved a certain scent. That's the only scent she wore. Crazy level of commitment here. I mean, like, I understand, like, okay, maybe like, oh, he really likes me in this dress. I'll wear this dress for a date, but she went too far. She did her research. She catered to his every whim, doted on him. A relative actually said she was dedicated 100% to satisfying every fantasy, desire, and urge of his. Yeah, it's so strange. Like, what the fuck? Okay, weirdo. (laughs) Apparently, according to a bunch of people too, he was like completely smitten with her. Like, he was just taken aback by her. Because Mm -hmm. she was doing whatever he wanted and saying whatever he wanted. Yeah. Whatever. She always wore his favorite color, which was white all the time. Whose favorite color is white? White is, first of all, not a color. It's not a color. color. It is by definition not a color. Not a color. And that's his favorite? No wonder your life was boring. I'm sorry. (laughs) But like, He is also a prolific racist, as is Sante. Maybe it makes sense a little bit there. Yeah. Pathetic. Very, very pathetic. Disgusting. He's the most boring, but also the worst. The worst. Yeah. Red flag. Yeah. Racist. Just terrible match here. Terrible. Mm -hmm. Terrible. Like so much pain and suffering came out of this duo. She threw herself at him. It worked. And eventually she ruins his whole life. Kenneth had already been married, three children, and reportedly he did not want to get married again. Like he really had no interest in getting married after that. 
And I also read somewhere that like eventually, I don't know if like right away, but eventually he did figure out that Sante was essentially after his money, but he just like didn't care. I don't know. They they talk a lot in the book about like their drunken arguments and like things getting said. And I mean, these are people who are drinking a lot and there's a lot of arguing going on. And I think there's some exchange like that. And that's ultimately why he keeps her out of all of his will and businesses Mm -hmm. and things like that, because he he knew he told her first of all you're never getting my money and secondly if I die I'm leaving you nothing you have to know something about that person that you're married to to be saying that shit for a while they're doing okay their relationship would change Sante's life really like together they had homes in Las Vegas Hawaii the Bahamas they're going everywhere they have homes everywhere even though she doesn't have his money she's able to spend his money as she likes but in 1975 Kenneth is 56 and Sante's around 40. She would give birth to their only son, Kenneth Kimes Jr., which we will now refer to as Kenny. And it's said that Sante basically got pregnant as a trap. It gets worse, Quinnies. Her first son says that she was gone for two weeks, came back with a kid. Nobody, not even Ken Kime Sr. saw her have that baby. Yeah, she just like fucking hid it from everybody. <laughs> so who even knows, Quinny's? Quinny, she could have stole the baby. It she could have one of those stole baby. stolen baby stories. But no one saw her. There's no record yeah. of anyone with her at the hospital. And yeah, she Ken- went, she like flew away to yes. go have the baby, whatever. And no, there was never any like, I'm pregnant or anything. Yeah, no. She hid no, the dude. whole thing and no one had any idea except him as Kenneth Kimes Sr.'s son right when Kenny would grow up basically in well-to-do circumstances but like in a very tumultuous home good and bad Sante was very domineering she would pick out all of Kenny's clothes decided who his friends would be she hired private tutors instead of enrolling him in regular school but he was also very spoiled because they obviously have all this wealth everything you want happiness dude money can't buy happiness that's true in his book later in life Kenny would describe himself as the obedient son who did what he was told oh I just can't can't but stand what? him. I just can't stand him. I really can't, Gwyneth. But I, okay, please keep going. It's like, can we believe anything anyone says this no. whole episode? Really? No. She gives me Eileen uh, Warnos vibes too. Some of the neighbors would say that Kenny hated his mom. He did love her, but he may have been ashamed of her and he might have been afraid of her. So like, there's just a lot. But Sante would eventually teach Kenny how to lie, cheat, and steal just like her. Right from the get-go, she uses Kenny as an accomplice by stuffing items in his stroller. She's literally hiding things under his little baby body in the stroller so she could shoplift and steal it. The, just the, the audacity. The audacity. It is. It's so ballsy. It's, it's stooping, like stupid. It's stooping to it it, And it's stooping to a level that is like just beyond. really on another. Yeah, exactly. Beyond. A woman whose child play with Kenny said, that Sante like you just knew she was strange like the moment you spoke with her you just did not want your child to be in her company and she had a condescending attitude which isn't remotely shocking to anybody but she said when Kenny was little she didn't want neighborhood kids to play with him because he was a genius where's the evidence (laughs) neighbors also said that Kenneth senior often appeared to be drunk 
like we said, we knew there was a drinking issue going on. So because he's out there, he's over in the corner drinking on the couch, he is unable to intervene to help Kenny in any way and get him out from under Sante's oppressive parenting. No one is helping Kenny. I will give you that. And he's being smothered by his mother. And his father's drunk and like loved him, but he's too drunk to even useless. Like do anything. He's useless. Yep. So the neighborhood, we talked about the neighbors because they did not love the Kimes family. I did no. not love them. <laughs> no. So the Kimes often go away going to one of their many homes like throughout wherever and they would leave their main house empty for months and long absences and poor maintenance would leave the place shabby and that stirred resentment in the neighborhood because especially Mm -hmm. because you know that they're living in an affluent neighborhood people need to keep up with the joneses they need to like have everyone in the neighborhood looking a certain way like i don't know maybe it's even like a gated community i'm not sure some of the houses are on such in such valuable areas that you would think that they're probably on display and it probably looks terrible to have yeah. it all falling into disarray. You're, you guys are millionaires. Okay, there's absolutely no way in hell that Sante and Kenneth are out there mowing their own lawn when they're home. Exactly. Washing the dishes. So yeah. you're telling me that the people you pay when you're normally there, you can't just keep paying to do the service while you're not there. But it's so weird because she cares so much about her appearance, how she appears to people, like her lifestyle. I don't know. I feel like it is part of it is being cheap. It's so But so the neighbors are like, we can't stand these fucking people. Like, get out of here. In the meantime, little genius Kenny is also causing some damage because he literally caused damage on the 4th of July, launching a rocket that set fire to a neighbor's house and caused $170,000 in damage. Do you have any idea how pissed my parents would be? (laughs) First of all, poor neighbors having to deal with this kid. But like, you know, he didn't get into any trouble for doing that. No, there was a lawsuit. It led to a settlement because obviously they could just pay it. But like, he's just doing, okay. I can't. Again, a neighbor said of Kenny. I never really thought he was too bright. Genius Kenny. He said he didn't have a lot of common sense, the way he rationalized and thought about things. And like, basically he just didn't care. He never had to care. Why would he ever have to care about anything? Yeah, no consequence. Exactly. He never, ever learned. So during this time, during the 70s, the Kimeses are doing a whole lot of burning down houses and collecting insurance (laughs) money. This is happening. Like this is becoming, this is replacing shoplifting for Sante. We're beyond that now. Along Mm -hmm. with, but yeah, still, I was going to say, but alongside of all of her other little petty crimes that she's just. This is the crown jewel right now is burning down homes and collecting insurance money from it. They do this in a whole bunch of different ways, which we won't get into, but it seems like Sante was always behind it or at least had the initial idea of doing it. So this is how they meet David Kasdan and he comes up later in the story. But at the time, David Kasdan was an insurance adjuster. So it's logical, right? They meet after one of the houses burned down and then they actually become personal friends with David Kasdan. Now, Kent Walker says in his book that he thinks Sante and David Kasdan were sleeping together and that Ken Kimes knew about it. We're going to return to everything about David Kasdan, but it's important to remember how they met and when they met versus how they ended up. And he says, you know, it's possible she did this with multiple men. She definitely did it when she was married to Ed Walker. And then with Ken Kimes, it seems she may have also been doing that as well. Kenny could have been Kasdan Jr. 
could have been anybody like anybody junior Junior. (laughs) yeah fucking literally by the time kenny's five young kenny not so genius kenny genius Genius. kenny but never seemed all that bright prodigal prodigal kenny yeah by 1980 sante has a solid track record now of doing shady shit and making money off of it sante and ken buy this large house at 2121 geronimo way this is right against the las vegas national golf club they're doing well just like carly said they hired a considerable amount of staff for the upkeep of this property in specific because it's very large. So in Kent's book, he describes this scenario. They're in Las Vegas. They're staffing the house. They're deciding what kind of help they need. He describes fully remembering being a passenger in a vehicle, driving into Southern California, crossing the Mexican border, and going into small communities to buy maids. Both Ken and Sante would get out of the car. They would bargain with a family. And they would end up taking a young female home, typically a a teenage Mexican girl. Most of them spoke no English whatsoever. They would ride in the trunk of the car over the border. This is long before GPS. So Sante and and Ken know exactly where they're going. God knows how many times they've done it. But it's such a good point. It's just like you said, this is also such a time that you could still get away with these kinds of things, though. That's outrageous. Oh, my God. They're in the country illegally, so they have literally no protection. It's really very scary to think about. It's human trafficking. 100%. And so by 1985, people in the community, the neighbors who already aren't a fan, start to notice an alarming number of illegal immigrants on their property. And I don't know how you pick an illegal immigrant out from a crowd. That's also just shows like the neighbors of the times at the time, but they were, they were basically like, okay, something's going on. Like something's a little weird. And they said that it seemed to be a rotating group. So like you Mm -hmm. would see one person for a while and then they would just disappear and it'd be replaced by another person. Like, yeah, because that's not sketch at all or anything. They are also renting a property in La Jolla outside in San Diego area. Same problem. Rotating group of people, the neighbors start complaining and be like, I don't know what's going on, but something weird is going on. So in 1985, Sante has to face a charge for stealing a mink coat in Washington, D.C., which I'm not even going to get into this. I'm also not even going to get into the bullshit sideshow that is her in Washington, D.C. and all the shit and all the presidents that she met. She had a lot of mink coats. Okay, like she was just (laughs) stealing shit. It's just ridiculous. So she gets off on the charge for the mink coat. One month later, both her and Ken are arrested in their La Jolla rented home for slavery. Just straight up slavery. The charges in this indictment are just, it charges that both Sante and Ken imprisoned dozens of teenage girls under lock and key, made them work for no pay, and beat them to the point of torture. They had one maid testify that Sante had burned her with a hot iron, and the the testimonies are, the testimonies are heartbreaking. It's terrible. The tutors were in the house to work with Kenny, obviously, and they saw Sante specifically physically beat the maids more than once. One tutor testified that when a maid passed out after being beaten, Sante kicked her repeatedly. People are seeing this going on. There's documented evidence of it. And Ken Kimes, of course, because he is a total worm, okay? And he is (laughs) not innocent in this story at all. Who knows what he would have said about all of this, but like from what we know, he was a racist dude and he was complicit in all of this shit. He was allowed to plead guilty to a lesser charge because he said he had no knowledge of the abuse and he just had to pay a fine. And then Sante got five years and she served three and was released. 
better than nothing. But there's no telling how many people died, how many workers were abused, never received justice. It's so bad. And she only got five years and only served three. Like that is not enough. Her own attorney admitted in court that when he saw the rooms where the maids stayed in the house, they were dead bolted on the outside. Well, during the time that she was in prison, Kenny's living the high life. The only time he's had any sort of relatively normal life because he's just home with Kenneth Sr., right? Kenneth enrolls him into private school. He can make some friends. He has a normal schedule. He's on at home just with the tutors all the time. Would really love to know his GPA, his genius GPA at this time. Kenneth and Kenny are getting closer. They're having more of a bond. Kenneth is indulging Kenny up and down. Boils him while Sante was gone. And Kenny is dreading his mom's release. Kenneth, who is always generous, like installed a swimming pool for Kenny. He got him a piano. He could go hang out with his friend, which like never had happened before. And one of his childhood friends, Vittorio, said like when Sante was in prison, like those were Kenny's golden years. They'd buy 10 McDonald's meals. There'd be like four or five of just like hanging out at the pool. They're having parties. He's not under the domineering parenting of Sante. He can pick out his own damn clothes. Like he's doing good. But Sante comes home literally in 1989 and she immediately reimposes all of her controls over Kenny. And Kenny's traumatized. He drops out of high school. He starts traveling to Tokyo, Hawaii, the Bahamas. And when she comes back, she tells Kenny she did not want her son associating with any of the friends that he had made. So now he cannot have any friends again. So Kenny would eventually get transferred to a public high school, Green Valley, and the family moved to a house across town where he had no friends. And just the anger building and building. So again, a neighbor said before that they left their other home, Kenny, who's like 15 now, he became so angry he ended up attacking Sante one time. But the rebellion did not last very long and he was then swept off to more of their other homes and tutors are coming and he was just again under Sante's crazy control. While this is going on, the Kimes, after Sante has served her three years, they're also facing a $75 million civil suit from the maid staff. So they went to criminal court, she goes into prison and they immediately mount a civil case. And they hire an attorney named Doug Crawford who went on to settle the case by 1990. He said that Sante has really sophisticated legal knowledge, which is really fascinating. And once the case was settled, she was really concerned about the boxes of documents that her attorney had about the whole case. And then Doug Crawford's law office burned to the ground. Crawford 100% believes it was her. And at the time, Crawford was working with a man named Elmer Holmgren. He was a friend of the Kimes family and he was their quote unquote accountant, like handled their finances. So he's working on the settlement details with him. Four months after After the fire, Elmer Holmgren vanishes off the face of the earth. He was formerly an insurance adjuster, Quinny's, and he got drunk one night and told some friends that Sante actually paid him to burn down Crawford's office. Someone heard this and went to the FBI. The FBI contacted him and he became an, an informant for the FBI. His last known activity is boarding a plane to Costa Rica in February of 1991. And guess who else was on the plane, Quinny's? Sante and Ken Kimes. Never seen or heard from again. This is not the last time we're going to say that in the show either. (laughs) Never charged with that fire and never charged with his death. But there is a literal trail of bodies behind these people. It's like Lori Vallow. In 1992, Sante and Ken contact David Kasdan, who's their old insurance adjuster pal, and they ask him if they could put the house at 2121 Geronimo Way in Las Vegas in his name. And they said that they were being faced with $150,000 lawsuit and they didn't want to lose the property in the suit. And Kazin agreed to do it. Shortly after that, he was contacted again by the Kimeses who told them, we put 
the house back in our name. Thank you so much. And Kazdin legitimately thought that that had happened. 1993, Kenneth Sr. would die from an aneurysm. And this obviously was a shock. Apparently it sent Kenny like out of control. Obviously they had gotten close during Sante's time in prison. Again, like it was a complete shock that he died, but also now Kenny is literally left alone with Sante. But like we said earlier, Kenneth Sr. had never amended his will since his first marriage. So when he dies, Sante and Kenny were not listed as beneficiaries and everything was left to his older children from his first marriage. This does not sit well with Sante. Nothing that they owned, they had together was in her name. Please, let's remember this, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, let's remember this. Every People say that she's a genius because she evaded capture for so long. That's not smart. It's not. And have zero in your name. Not good. They weren't even married though. Were they actually, like I I read read conflicting things. They question the legitimacy of that and say, is it, is the marriage record even real? However, him leaving out Kenny doesn't sit well with me either. I know. Well, that's the thing is I wonder if he thought if I give it to him, it goes straight to her. So Sante, obviously beside herself, she calls Kenny at college and dumps all of her stress out on him like what are we gonna do like we're gonna be on the street like and so much so that Kenny drops out of college to go help Sante and essentially just be the Clyde to her Bonnie like that's essentially all that's all the rest of their life like Asli does is he just becomes permanently involved in all of her schemes like I wonder what would have happened if Kenneth hadn't died so suddenly things weren't great before this considering the slavery situation if at least Kenny could have been saved from a lifetime of imprisonment he was so young you know and i do think he's a bastard don't get me wrong oh totally it's just it's tough to see someone that young just throw their whole life away she got nothing in the will okay no access to his bank accounts not not no name on the businesses nothing absolutely homes yeah sante hid the death of ken kimes from his three eldest children for two years Yeah, I can't. What does that I just, sound like, like? When does it stop? Lori Vallow, her texting her hus- ex-husband's kids. You know what I mean? Like that's yep. what it reminds me of. Yeah. It does, definitely. And collecting benefits. She changed Ken Kime's social security number. She forged property deed transfers from Ken. And she built Ken's heirs out of 8 million bucks in two years. 8 million never accounted for. And also, no one has any clue where that money is, by the way. That's 8 nuts. million dollars in the 1990s, eight million. Okay. She told, she told someone that she had a bad deal in Hong Kong and lost $3 million. Whatever the, whatever, what, what, who are you? She was definitely smuggling cigars from Cuba with Kenny during this period. They had a cigar smuggling operation. Honestly, the money could be anywhere. We do know that she was involved in a business deal with the ruling Royal family of Qatar and they owned the Gulf Union Bank in the Cayman Islands. Now it's like a joke, right? Like when you're being investigated by the FBI, you run off to the Caymans or all my Mm -hmm. money's in the Caymans. This bank, Gulf Union Bank in the Cayman Islands is where 55-year-old Syed Bilal Ahmed worked as a problem account investigator until he vanished without a trace on September 5th of 1996 after dining in a restaurant in Nassau. Guess who he was at dinner with, Quinny's? Sante, 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 Sante. And probably Kenny too, honestly, probably. Let's be real real here. So at this point, they're doing whatever they can to find money because they lost that cool eight mil. 
Like, what are we doing here? I just, I can't, Seriously. I can't get past it. Also, like, have that's they it. paid out the 150 mil yet? I'm sure that they completely stiffed at least on at least a portion of it. And it's so hard too, because you want people who will testify to what happened to them. But like, there's no telling how many people like in this rotating carousel of employees, like I feel so bad for those people. You come here, you can't even speak the language. Like you don't even know where you are. It's just, it's awful. She should have been, she should have gone to prison for life for that one. Absolutely. That would have been helpful. Also, was the bad deal in Hong Kong her trying to buy more people? I wouldn't be surprised. So they're doing whatever they can. Kenny's smuggling cigars from Cuba. I guess that's a business. Right. I mean, I guess kind of he's a business entrepreneur. He's an entrepreneur. And it's around this time that Kent Walker, Sante's oldest son, basically cuts ties with Kenny and Sante and becomes estranged from them. They were staying with him for a little bit, which, as you can imagine, is a freaking nightmare. And Kent's wife did not get along with Sante for obvious reasons. She's a smothering presence all over your husband. Like it must be horrible. And they have two children like not good. And so he's cut them off now. Right. So Ken Kimes is deceased. Kent Walker wants nothing to do with them. And that's why we really don't know everything that they did from 1996 to 1998, because I'm sure it involves stealing from people and taking money that doesn't belong to them. People saw the writing on the wall in a way like they had lost a lot of friends. So it's in January of 1998 that David Kasdan receives a letter from a Florida bank that he had never heard of (laughs) telling him that he had taken out a $280,000 mortgage on the Geronimo house in Las Vegas. This is the house that they transferred into his name because of the lawsuit. And they said they transferred it out. So he's confused. Sante had forged his signature on the loan documents. And then, of course, Binnie's the Geronimo house burned to the ground. It's not funny, Shocker. but it's also funny. It's at this point, it becomes like, really, like it does how? become almost a joke. It's and she's so like she has learned nothing. An arson oh. investigator from the Clark County Sheriff's Department is like arson done completely confirmed like she's not even trying anymore she's not even trying to make no. it look like an accident no, she just burned the not. house down so the investigators discovered that the deed to the house had been transferred from Sante and Ken to David Kasdan and then from David Kasdan to Robert McCarran who subsequently becomes an informant for the police this is a homeless man that Sante and Kenny picked up on the side of the road he claimed that they beat him They held him prisoner and they forced him to pose as the new homeowner. And he also said that Sante and Kenny set the fire themselves. As this is going on, Sante and Kenny, who are now posing as Manny and Sandy Guerrero. I can't. I can't. (laughs) I can't. Manny and Sandy down there. And now Manny. And we're Mandy and Sandy Grandy. And they rent a room in a Brentwood mansion very, very close to the home of David Kasdan. They told their landlord that Kenny was a student at UCLA and that Sante was a widow and living with him. Kenny and Sante slept in one bed and their homeless prisoner slept in another. I also read that Kenny and Ken Kimes shared a bed till he was 14. So as an adult, he's sleeping in the bed with his mom. And as a child, he's sleeping in the bed with his mom. In the milk, it ain't it's milk. not. It's not okay. I'm thinking like, okay, I have my kids come in the bed with me all the time, right? There's are little. Your kids are little, little. Okay, but here's the thing. I'm like, okay, well, maybe like, how long could I let that go on reasonably? Fourteen. I know. And it's different if like you climb into bed with your parents, you have like a bad dream or something and you wake up and you're afraid and you're, 
you know, a a 10 or 12 year old, you might go find your mom and dad and say, I'm scared. Can I sleep in here with you? But it's not a nightly. We're talking about him sharing a bed with his father till he was 14. And then as an adult sharing a bed with his mom. I don't know. Like I bet you Kenny's a bedwetter, like something. Most definitely. I, and I much, as much as I hate to say it, it is very much a real thing, Quinny's, and it happens way more often than we even fucking realize or think. The landlord of this Brentwood property also said that Sante hated dogs. Okay. First so all. just, it, we can just write her off at How this point. They don't like you either, Sante. Okay. You cannot want to have a dog, but like who really like hates a dog? How? I don't trust you if you hate a dog. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, exactly. Don't and so in the me. weeks leading up to his death, David Kazan is talking to people about Sante Kimes, to his friends, to his family, and to his attorney. He did not want to deal with her anymore. He's like, I'm in this ridiculous situation. I have no idea what's going on. I think I think I got played. On March 13th of 1998, investigators believe that Kenny rang the bell at David Kasdan's property, which was protected by an iron gate. They think Kasdan recognized Kenny and let him in to the property. And then there's a man named Sean Little, who is Kenny's alleged accomplice in the crime. He's also an informant now for the LAPD. He said that he saw Kenny on that day standing over Kasdan's dead body with a gun in his hand. The two men cleaned the house to hide the struggle, put David Kazan's body in his Jaguar and drove it to LAX, where they then threw it in a dumpster and left the Jaguar nearby. What was the possible rationale for the body coming out of the car? Like, if you're just going to leave the car there, why why would it come out of the trunk? So that it would get picked up and like thrown away. And then Sante and Kenny leave LA two weeks after David Kazan was murdered. And this is where Quinny's we can put a nail in this coffin because this is where she makes the final mistake that puts an end to this horrible life she's led. Okay. She, <laughs> we, she's just, this is her digging her own grave. We can relish it and just love it so much. She calls a man on the phone who had sold cars to her and Ken in Utah. Yeah, and she great. orders a Lincoln town car. Okay. I can't, what are you Jackie? Oh, she I, orders a Lincoln town car with quote, really, really dark tinted windows. And then and when the car was delivered, the check bounces and she's Shocker. all apologetic. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I will no write idea. another check to you. <laughs> she never pays. I will write another love. check for you. Oh, so God. she never paid, of course, because guess what? Okay. She never pays, Quinny's. No, that's where we doesn't. get the bad check warrant from. That's how she got arrested. So we'll take it. I, I hope you enjoyed that, Lincoln. Then on June 13th and 14th of 1998, Kenny, Sante, and Jose Alvarez who's a man that was hired by Kenny. I use hired very, very lightly here. He was probably punched in the face and forced into a car. He was hired as a driver to drive from Florida to New York in that Lincoln Town car. Sante and Kenny are both with him. Apparently, they had heard about Irene Silverman while they were in Palm Beach in Florida as a wealthy widow. Apparently, Sante straight up walked around asking a a bunch of people if they know any wealthy widows. Can you imagine the scenario where a friend of yours is just like, hey, you know, where one of us gets on the podcast and it's like, oh, how you doing this week, Quinny? Oh, I'm good. Hey, I was just wondering, do you know any wealthy widows in your area? I'm in a wealthy widow group on Facebook. Let me invite (laughs) you right now. We crochet together. Like what? Like, who are you? So Sante, she's posing now as Eva Guerrero. She calls Irene Silverman shortly before 
they arrived and she claims to be an assistant looking to rent an apartment for her boss, Manny Guerin. This, of course, is Kenny. Sante then tries her damnedest to get get Irene's social security number. She tries to call Irene Silverman and tell her that she won a trip to Las Vegas, but she would just need her social security number to get the prize. And also, also, it didn't work. She doesn't leave the house by herself. She's going to go to Vegas? No. And Irene is way too smart for that shit. So she's like, no, thank you. Then Sante calls a title company to inquire about the terms of the deed to Irene's house. She's able to get a copy of the deed. She conned her way into getting a copy of the deed to the house, which is not something that should have been given out. She paid cash upon receipt. And then Sante and Kenny look all over Manhattan for any notary that will sign a deed transfer to them without Irene present. A lot of people are like, no fucking way. Absolutely not. Then they get a notary out there and Sante pretends to be Irene Silverman with dementia. And even that notary is like, no, no, I'm not doing this. Then, but they got another notary and this person signed the deed. This is a, okay, so this is a deed transfer. Irene's mansion is worth over $7 million at this point. The deed transfer says that she sold it to Sante and Kenny Kimes for $400,000. The whole thing is just so unbelievable. When you look at it, yeah. you're like, what, what do you mean she sold it for a fraction of the value, like for nothing, yeah. for pennies? And they're also idiots and they did not know that Irene, she's 82 years old. She already deeded the house to a nonprofit that she set up in memory of her own mother. You, okay. you jerks. They They're just the assumed, worst. they just assumed that she was just like a stupid old lady. Yeah. So once they have Sante and Kenny in custody, right? The whole thing starts to unravel and we get a lot of interesting facts about them. And fortunately, interesting facts about Irene, which typically we don't get about the victim. This woman was a socialite until the day that she vanished. And she also was a shrewd business person. She made very considerable profit on her home while maintaining a residence. She had a Parisian inspired rooftop garden. That she spent hours in and she also made it like a private dog walking area for her dogs. So So like it was all fenced and like all the greenery was there and it was like the spot for the dogs. I just, I can't. She had really good parties with other artists. She modeled a portion of her house after the music room at Versailles. She's a socialite, you know, like she's a very classy lady. No wonder she didn't want your bullshit trip to Vegas. Like, I think she's good. Like, I think she's she's fine. And she had never had a college degree as an elderly woman. She took classes at Columbia just to like meet people and talk to professors and learn things and and keep her mind going and keep her mind going. Like it's incredible. Her mother lived to be in her nineties and people say that her mother was living with Irene at the time. And Irene at this point was like 70 something. They remember her mom yelling at them at like two o'clock in the morning about like, you've been up drinking champagne, you know, like be like literally being a mom at a sleepover nice. for her 70 year old daughter. It's just really oh funny. My God. It's just, it's too bad too, because you think, okay, 82, maybe she had a good run, but like her family members lived into their nineties. 15 years. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not okay. They, she's remembered hilarious, eccentric, fun, kind, generous person on the Saturday night before she disappeared, she's having dinner with two friends at her house and she has the closed circuit TV screens up and there's a guy coming up to one of the cameras and she points him out to the two people she's dining with. And she's like, that's Manny Guerin. He's my new tenant and I don't trust him. And she starts talking about who he is and how she met him and whatever. 
she says, the first thing I noticed is that he never shows his face on the security cameras. She always required references before she rented, but... Manny Guerin, whose assistant called prior to secure the apartment for him, handed her $6,000 cash on the day that he arrived and had no ID and had no references and told her that he would get them to her and she took him at his word. And she showed him apartment 1B, which was at the front of the building and far from her quarters, and she let him move in. And it's about this time that they notice that he will not let the housekeeping staff into his apartment. And it becomes like a back and forth argument. And he tells Irene that he has a housekeeper, his own housekeeper. He doesn't need her housekeeper. And the housekeeping staff had said that they had seen an elderly woman in the room on occasion who appeared to be cleaning. It's believed that on Sunday, July 5th, 1998, this is the morning after this dinner with her friends, Sante and Kenny murdered Irene between 11.30 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. by suffocating her so that there would be less of a mess and no sound. They wrapped her body in a tarp and put her in the trunk of the Lincoln town car. When Sante and Kenny were arrested, they had Irene's driver's license, passport, forged power of attorney forms, her social security cards, a Glock 9mm handgun, an empty box for a stun gun, a box of 22 caliber rounds, plastic handcuffs, syringes, and a sedative that's 10 times stronger than Valium. There is the no books. Yes. So there's no physical evidence in this case, but right. like, come on, I think we can put two and two together here. And it's tough. Yeah. We, we see this all the time. There's There are these no body cases. Kathy Durst, you know, and like, it's tough to prosecute, but like this was just glaring financial motive all over it. And the police were also tipped off. I love this too. The, the Plaza Hotel, their head of security is a former NYPD cop. When he had seen that this woman had been missing from the area and that their faces are on the screen, he is like, oh my God, I know that woman. She checked a bag here. And so they contact and give him the bag. And in the bag that Sante checked is the forged notarized deed for the sale of Irene's home and the notebooks. And the notebooks are just like, the notebooks. Why do they all do this? Why do they all do this? I know it's so weird. I know it's so weird. I was thinking about this. In this particular case, while I can't stand her and I don't agree with anything that ever happened in this whole episode, it does almost make sense because she's not, she has so many moving parts of so many different cons and so many different names and aliases and Manny and Kenny and blah, 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 blah. So like literally no one has the brain power to keep all of that. On track. On track yeah. in your brain. You know what I mean? So like, okay, yep. this So maybe records instance, or whatever. It's stupid, but I <laughs> understand why she may have needed it. Yeah, mm-hmm. because she had so many, she had hundreds of but alias names. Just, and... It's just the whole, like, why do you write down everything? Like, it's good for us later. Jeannie's father, like, I don't Just writing it. it all out. And like, writing freaking, it down. we looked at this with Israel Keys. Like, why do you have every... Thing that's going to tie you to every murder ever in your car ever. when you're arrested like you're an idiot <laughs> but it's also like well if i leave where's she going to leave it and unfortunately irene's body has never been found so i debated adding so her missing details to this episode but i don't think we can quinice because i think they definitely did it and in the eyes of the law they did it but what's really tough about this is that there are no witnesses no forensic evidence and the toll tags 
indicate that Sante and Kenny never left Manhattan. So where is she? Also, like, sadly, if she was 82 in 1998. I know it's really, it's, it's awful. But it's we know really terrible. They, did it. Yeah. they definitely did it. And like, she was a slight woman. She was 115 pounds. They could have done anything, but yeah, it is. It's a head scratcher though. When mm-hmm. you think about it, you're like, yeah, but how can you find absolutely nothing? And it makes also, again, no sense that Kazan's body is so easily found. The Jaguar's right there in the dumpster. We her never. body's just gone. It's again, yeah. Durst, like Kathy's ever found. It like is. Morris is right there. And like mm-hmm. the newspaper, it's just it stupid. Is. Because the ones that they really want to get rid of, they fucking really get rid of. I guess. Yeah. And she was such a socialite. Like she knew so much yeah. and so many people. It's just. Yeah. And if she ever crazy. had any ability to be found or come back, they would look right at the land deal and yeah. say, that's not, that deed of sale makes no sense. 400000 dollars for a seven million dollar house so the trial for irene even though it's very likely that they murdered david kasdan first the trial for irene or irene silverman's murder was the first to take place first right so on may 18th of 2000 sunday and kenny were convicted on 118 counts we got burglary we got firearm possession we got straight up murder we got i mean it's just forgery it's just the list goes on and on and on and the jurors who were polled afterwards said that the worst, the most damning evidence was those notebooks. Irene's signature all over her practicing the practicing signature. her signature, writing down, oh, 8.15 a.m. goes in the kitchen for a glass of water. Mm-hmm. 8.21 a.m. leaves the kitchen. Like copious record keeping of the, mo- the movements of an 82-year-old. For why though? And that's the other thing too, is like keeping track of her movements in your notebook. It's just like that's just a, a trail. So it's worth noting that Sante actually screamed at the judge throughout the trial out of turn. And she was threatened to be handcuffed at one point because she repeatedly tried to contact the news media while the trial is going on. Okay. (laughs) She's trying to tell the media while her own murder trial is going on with her and her son that Irene's immigrant housekeeping staff were the people who murdered her. It's the like the judge called it an overt attempt to influence the jury, which it totally was. You know how they let them speak at the sentencing and like speak yeah. for yourself. Okay. They shouldn't. She compared her situation to the Salem witch trials. Okay. She said that the prosecutors in this case were quote, this is a direct quote, guilty of murdering the constitution. <laughs> I can't. It's like her interview with Larry King. Like, get out of The media appearances are awful. While they're on trial, they're not allowed to do that, but they are just, they're all the publicity they can get. The judge didn't appreciate that. In sentencing, said that Sante Kimes is a sociopath and that Ken Kimes is a remorseless predator. She gave Sante 120 years and Kenny got 124. So like not serving three and getting out. It's interesting that Kenny got more. I don't really know necessarily why he ends up with four more. Like the only thing I can think of, like why four? If something happened, like he would have had to have physically done it versus mm-hmm. Sante maybe because she was older. Mm-hmm. But still, it's just weird. Yeah. And like, I wonder the possession of a firearm too, like she's a felon. He doesn't really have a history. So right. you would think that it would give her more. But so after they're sentenced, Kenny decides to go on court TV. Remember court TV, Quinnies? I watched it I so used to much. love court, court TV. TV. He brings love, me back, Yeah. He had to go on court TV and just tell him all about it. And he literally, (laughs) it's just, it's just, it's almost comical at this point. He held the reporter Maria's own hostage for four hours 
at the taping to demand that his mother would not be extradited to California to face charges for David Kasdan's murder. And wasn't okay? it with a pen? With a pen to the throat. Like a pen. But he did have her in a hold like. four hours of this bullshit. Like, I wouldn't okay? want to be her in that instance. Mm-mm. But like, also, it's just a little comical. It's it is. And I, I kind is. of think like maybe his hand was like covering what it was, maybe. Right. So you couldn't really tell. Right. And then you find out it's like nothing. Thing. After four hours, people got tired and he was wrestled to the ground. No, um, shut your mouth, Kenny. <laughs> shut up, Kenny. Shut up, Kenny, Manny, Mandy, Ken, whatever. So he was extradited, of course, in March of 2001 and Sante in June of 2001 to face murder charges for David Kasdan, as they should. And Kenny changes his plea from not guilty to guilty and agrees to cooperate, to implicate his mother. So he did. Kenny testified at Sante's trial for the murder of David Kasdan. And it's really brutal. He just serves her up. And also it's the worst thing he could have done in her mind mm because she would never Total betrayal. Never. You never. You never. It doesn't matter what. Yeah. It doesn't matter why. He is just such a stone cold piece of shit. Like he just, oh, I just cannot (laughs) stand him at all. Like he's just talking about like how she forced him to be a criminal. Like, I'm sorry. We know plenty of people who have come from horrendous upbringings and do not go on to do this shit. Like, no. No, you don't get a pass. Sante Kimes was given a life sentence and so was Kenny. He is currently in California and she is here in New York. Well, she was here in New York and Katie's going to get a little into their prison life. She served only a decade in prison of her 120 something sentencing. She only served 10 years, which just does not satisfy me at all. Yeah, it's not satisfying. Um, Before she died, on May 19th, 2014, it was a Monday and she passed away at the Bedford Hills Correctional Facility in Westchester County, New York. She was 79 years old and she was apparently found unresponsive in her bed, died of natural causes. They don't like to talk about it too nope. much. It's like they don't want you to know what happened to her. Do we care what happened to her? Absolutely exactly. not. Exactly. You know like, what I mean? But I just like, hate no. the idea of her getting one final like I know. Con. I know. Can I just I have the one quote from his that he said about his journal and I just (laughs) yes please (laughs) I don't know if it's worse that he wrote it in the first place or if he later quoted himself to share it as in a pot like it's so Mm -hmm. cool I don't know like it's like poetry level so I'm like "Eh, already I hate it but so he said like after two days of confessing like after he like confesses against his mom he goes I went back to my cell and I wrote in my journal tattletale tattletale too bad you're going straight to hell I am no longer the son who will do anything for his mother, but I am still a murderer. (laughs) Only now I get to live. I am the narc who escaped the needle, the piece of shit who doesn't get to walk the green mile. And then he says, oh, but I also just spent the last 10 minutes vomiting because I read in my, no one cares. No, Kenny. no oh one my God. cares. Oh my God. Nobody cares. He's like, I read my mom out. I feel dead already, but God have mercy on us. No one else will. Yeah. No, Kenny, we don't give a shit. No one gives a shit. Kenny. I literally just did like- a spit <laughs> Like, that's like a bad facebook status i just spent the is. last 10 minutes vomiting like oh my god 
Seriously. Yeah. So Kenny is incarcerated at the Richard J. Donovan Correctional Facility in California. Writing in his journal. Writing writing his whole little life away in his journal. Tattle tell, tattle tell. Tattle tattle, tell. <laughs> the title of the book is No One Cares, Kenny. Quinny's final thoughts about uh Shantae, the late Shantae and uh, or Santi or Santa or Sandor or Santa. Sandor. 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 <laughs> it's so bad. It is. It's a whole it other is. level. Obviously, like the ultimate takeaway is like they hurt and killed and ruined so many people's lives. So it many. It is astronomical. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like the victims alone is just a never ending list. And, and I can't, you know, obviously we cannot say enough about how terrible that is for all the victims. We don't even know all their names. Just the fucking audacity for her, their whole lives. Their whole, whole lives. Their whole lives, just the It's on another level. It's terrible. It's It's really terrible. It reminds me a little bit of our missing and murdered indigenous women episodes in a way because the information is so limited about the undocumented victims. Luckily, we have some registries of indigenous people who have gone missing or like we have some. some. Now we do and they're not even complete, but like this is like you have no idea how many people they smuggled into the country how many people they abused how many how many girls died and watching how she just has not only does she just lie not only does she just lie and deny through her teeth like through and through which is just so blood boiling the level of coldness and like Mm -hmm. the way that she just does not have any feeling she has no acknowledgement kenny ended up being kenny and like kent is not that great either but like also like they never had a chance no it it must have been that's why i keep trying to remind myself is like wow can you imagine if this is the situation you grew up in like it's rough there's no denying it the example that was set for him was horrible yep. but i do think it's important to to mention in this you see a lot about her being a criminal mastermind Uh a really smart because she evaded capture for so long because I mean, she was, she did serve time in prison, but life imprisonment, she evaded for over 35 years. So many many crimes, so many that we don't even know about. And like, obviously this trail of murder victims behind her, but I do think it's important to point out she's not smart. When you really look at it, the whole thing is not well orchestrated. It's not planned out. I mean, they never found Irene Silverman, but who's to say that they won't. And who's to say like, that that she even really had anything to do with that. I think it's important to point out that she got away with it because she was an affluent white woman and she nobody looks at that. She got she walked in knowing and I feel like also that's part of the slavery charges mm. is she was putting a group of people that she could act like she was above like on display by contrast be like I have all these servants and I have this so you would never suspect me of doing anything and that that's why she got away with it yeah, because yeah. she's a, a rich lady. It's a lot like of deflection. Yeah. Just image totally. and just being like, I just uphold this, whatever. And sometimes the lady who owns the 12 bedroom house next door is a fucking criminal. She just played the part, the white and the Liz Taylor and the whole, like it was, it was her way of like hiding in plain sight. There is a woman in like almost going to Rexford, like this almost same thing happened. It was a mansion and she ended up having an indentured servant or not, not indentured servant. Um, yeah. Indentured servant? Yeah. When they're it. not paid. 
Right. Yes. But like essentially a slave. Yeah. We got to start knocking on doors in nice neighborhoods and being like, you got any undocumented workers and somebody probably bring a gun out on us. Yeah. Right. But like, I mean, it's like, it's happening in these posh, sophisticated ass places. I'm like, Clifton Park is like, okay, but like, it's not. Not La Jolla or Las Vegas. No, it's not super, super rich, but but I guess they do consider, I mean, they do consider it one of like the, they do consider it one of the wealthier areas. It's not Saratoga, but like this particular house is like Saratoga (laughs) County. It is a very large home. Yeah. It's in the nicer part, whatever. It just fucking happened here. Anyone can have a indentured servant. Anyone can have a child locked in their basement or locked in a feral child. A feral child. Okay. Under their bed, (laughs) like Jamie Kloss. Like it is everywhere dude. it is it's it so is. scary there's you a body in anything. a barrel in someone's basement right now as we speak so major takeaway right human trafficking is real not really a joke happening. not made up really happening 100 happening that's important to remember also just oh just open some doors next time you're in a nice person's house you know or Look a nice house door. or a fancy house just push Look around oh i just need to use your restroom and just open every door on your open, way you know what i mean just every just bookcase every bookcase <laughs> overturn <laughs> it in genie we're like rip all the books yeah. off the shelves yeah. to see if there's a secret as much as like everyone is like on the self-care train like take care of your mental health like yes still be a little bit wary of people who journal a lot 14 journals later i mean you gotta be like like yes journaling can help you Mm-hmm. It can help you write your feelings. Can out. be a good Expression. first thing in the morning activity. Get write your, your dreams, you know, your mm-hmm. goals. Yeah, you have a husband or wife or partner. Just pop open the old, yes. give it a few scroll through. You know, are they are they writing eight fifteen a.m. Jocelyn just drank a glass of water in the kitchen. That that's fucking concerning. Are that's... they writing terrible poetry? <laughs> so uh, again, let me double know. whammy. <laughs> Journaling and it, in the journal is terrible poetry. Whew. Cannot abide. Love you. Bye, Queenies. Love you, Queenies. Bye. Listen to Straight Up Evil.